Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, June 1st. The semifinals are now set at the year's second Grand Slam. We know the four men singles players, four women singles players who will still be competing for the chance to be named the 2022 French Open champion. It was a relatively steady day of results on the women's side. I don't think either Iga Sviantek nor Jessica Pagula played their best. Nevertheless, it was Iga earning another straight set victory, her 33rd consecutive win overall. She's into the second Roland Garros of her uh, semifinal of her career, of course, on the other side of her draw will be Daria Kasatkina, who advances to her first Grand Slam semifinal. She earns a straight set win over Veronica Kudermatova. I talked about Kasatkina a bit on yesterday's show, but of course, I want to explore what allowed her to get through in straight sets, how she presents a different sort of challenge to Iga Sviantek moving forward. And then, of course, now that our semifinals are set, we want to preview that women's action as those are the two singles matches you'll see unfold tomorrow at Roland Garros of course with the semifinals being set across the board we have to recap today's men's matches and across the board these French Open quarterfinals in the men's singles draw delivered perhaps as well as any Grand Slam we have seen over the past couple of seasons each of the four matches delivering endless drama high level of play at various points of different matches today it was Marin Cilic continuing some of, uh, to display some of the best form we've seen in his career. He advances to the first French Open semifinal of his career, becomes just the fifth active male player to reach the semifinals of all four Grand Slams. Want to break down what allowed him to succeed? How sustainable is it moving forward, particularly given the fact that he's going to play a guy in Casper Ruud, who three months ago, all of us would have maybe even penciled in to our French Open semifinals in our brackets. Of course, he did not have the best start to his clay court season, but he's now won 10 consecutive matches or nine, whatever the number is, finds himself in the first semifinal at a slam in his career. As you can see, plenty for us to break down on today's show. And if we're going to talk about all of that, it always helps me to have a guest to bounce a few ideas off of. And today's guest joining us on the show is a familiar voice to all of you Crack Rackets listeners. As you know him best as a returning champion on this show, a contributor to our website, CrackedRackets.com. He's all about tennis blog, countless other platforms, of course. I know him best as my friend, David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I am like rearing to go. I am ready. Uh, and I have, have some hot takes that you, I know that you said you'll, uh, you'll bounce, I'll bounce some ideas off you. You'll bounce some ideas off me. Um, are we going to get to talk also about Maresmo's comments and Djokovic's comments about Nadal? There's so much uh, to discuss. We can talk about all of it, David. That's why I wanted to have you on today's show. And I won't lie, I heard a little gasp out of you as I was going through my intro. And I think listeners will have all heard me pause about a minute and a half in. And I can tell you are spirited and ready to go. And again, it's been a pretty good French Open as we have our semifinal set. You all know the matchup. Iga is going to be taking on Kasat Kina. It's going to be Goff versus Trevisan on the women's side. On the men's side, you have Chilich versus Rude, Zira versus Nadal. It has not been a direct pathway, but I think if you look at the quality of play, in particular on the men's side, we can get into the women's side momentarily, I feel pretty good 
about these semifinals. I mean, Coco Goff is 28 and 10 in her career on clay courts, and I know this is something we're going to get into, but she was a quarterfinalist last year. It's not absurd right. to see her take this next step in her career. Trevisan's made a quarterfinal in Roland Garros before. I think if you look at her track record, maybe not a top 20 player, but top 35. We can get into why she's in the discussion there. I mean, again, like across the board, I I suppose on the women's side, yes, it's more of an argument. On the men's side in particular, with how Chilich is playing, I feel pretty good about these semifinalists. How do you feel, David? Yeah, you know, if you had said Marin Chilich, Roland (laughs) Garros semifinals, I would have called you crazy. But I mean... He's playing that well. He did not face a break point against Medvedev. He was only broken twice today and not in the fifth set. I believe in the fifth set, he won 80% of his first serve points. Um, He had 33 aces compared to two double faults today. I mean, this is crazy. This is U.S. Open 2014 numbers on clay. Yeah, he's been ridiculous. Every forehand Chilich saw, and we'll talk about this more as we get into his match, but every forehand he saw, he went after. And if you will entertain me, well, you know what? I'm going to save this spiel for when we talk more about Chilich. I still do think so. You talk about the Amelie Moresmo comments, and for those of you who didn't have the opportunity to, you know, read or follow on uh, the comments that were made, and, you know, uh, I believe the question was asked to her about uh, the planning of the night session because disproportionately there were more men's matches uh, played at the night session than there were uh, on the women's side and you know picking the women's match once out of the 10 days to be the match of the day was the question that was asked by Catherine Whitaker you know Amelie Moresmo's response in this era that we are in right now I don't feel and as a women former women's player I don't feel bad or unfair saying that right now you have more attraction more attractivity can you say that appeal that's the general for the men's matches my goal was when I was doing the schedule every day to try and see from the first rounds when the draw came out to try and see what the match in the women's draw I can put there. Uh, The confrontation or the star that I could put there, you know, you have all those parameters. So that was tough. Honestly, I did really consider every day that uh, not every day, that would be wrong, but most of the days, and these are her comments, I'm reading them, I think verbatim, trying to see in all the team, we were really focusing on this most of the time. But yes, I admit it was tough. It was tough for more than one night to find, as you say, the match of the day when you have this and it's an interesting one because as I was saying the fact that it's right now a one match night session is tough on this it is tough it sounds like you have a response to these comments and again that was not the most clear-cut statement the gist of the statement being that the men's matches were more appealing that's why they were the matches of the day despite the disproportionate number of nine men's matches of the day to the one on the women's side your reaction to that, David, because it does sound like you have a strong one. Well, I, I, I'm kind of curious also to hear your thoughts, but here's what I'm thinking. Uh, hear me out. I don't think that it ever had to do with the best and the worst match of the day. I think it had to do with, and I've seen this a little bit on Twitter, the length of the matches. Let's, Igor Sviatek can run through, you know, today was a relatively long match for her, an hour and a half. Um, and if you're only going to have that one match, you don't want it to be over in an hour, hour and a half, because then the ticket goers, the ones that are funding the tournament are going to be upset. I think the solution is to have two matches that start earlier, kind of like the U S open does, um, you know, one men's one women's, because quite frankly, a lot of the times the women's matches are at least. To me, and I'm, I'm weird, I, I think that, you know, they're more interesting a lot of the times. And so I think I don't necessarily think it's about what the best and worst. It's what Amazon Prime, which I believe is the French Open's like official sponsor, something in Europe. Uh, I mean, we don't get to watch much tennis in the U.S. Uh, in the night sessions. We have that stupid peacock. But that's a that's another uh, story. But I just don't I think it's more about the length of the matches as opposed to whether a match is better or worse. What does that make sense? No, I understand what you're saying. I mean, the argument I think 
in into why the specific case of this French Open, the 9-to-1 ratio, you look at the top 10 players in the world. Muguruza lost first round, and, you know, Shabur loses first round. Sakari, Conteve, uh, I believe, uh, that was a shocker, huh? as well. And then, you know, you had uh, Sakari and Pliskova and Radakanu all knocked out second round, third round exits for Sabalenka and Bedosa. Krachikova knocked off first round as well. There weren't top 10 players readily available that were easy picks for the match of the day in the way that there were on the men's side. I mean, you look at the men's court, uh, the men's round of 16 matches that we had, uh, certainly from a seed perspective that you had a Tsitsipas versus Aruna. Again, you can understand uh, the appeal of a match like that. I, I, again, it's, I, there have been so many matches. I wish I was more aware of who the night session matches were. Djokovic-Nadal should always be flexed to the night session. And if you have a qualm with the 830 start... I get, like I understand that my argument would be Nadal has two days off, so it really doesn't matter what time that match ends. There are 48 hours for him to recover. That's one of the perks of their starting on the first Sunday as opposed to the first Monday of the tournament. My thinking is, that, I mean, there were a couple of little ones like Fernandez and Isimova, which might be the match of the tournament on the women's side, that's an easy flex yeah. to prime time. And that's a match with a former Roland Garros semifinalist, last year's U.S. Open finalist, and they're both under 22 years old. Like, that's an easy but flex. And Are you going to put it over, like, I, it, it was Alcaraz Kachanov, I believe, but like Nadal. Akron. So, yes, I think that's the one you flex it over. I think that's an easy yeah. one. I think they're yeah. definitely more, no disrespect to Karen Kachanov, and I understand growing the appeal of Carlos Alcaraz because that's just one of the guys moving forward. And it's definitely, I talked about this on yesterday's show, the lack of performance from the WTA top 10. I think that the depth on the WTA Tour and in tennis in general, you have to be better to be a top 50 player than ever before. You can also, I think, justifiably argue that because the gap between two and 50 is so minimal that the number two player maybe isn't as strong comparatively to the field as they once were. And again, that parity leads to results like a Trevisan making the quarterfinals or, you know, again, a Sloan Stevens making a run to the quarterfinals as well, because her best is still as good as some of those other players. It was not an easy schedule for, oh, look, it's a bad answer. And there's no justifying the nine to one. There are I, I pointed out Fernandez and Nisimova. That's first off the top of my head name that comes to mind. There were other good matches certainly that you felt like you could flex throughout the course of the draw. Now you're not going to put Sviantek Pegula at night tonight because they have to play tomorrow. So even if that might have been the best match on the board from a name perspective, you're just not going to do that from a logistics standpoint. That said, I know I, I just monologued at you. You just can't, again, had she gone through case by case and said, I labored over this and here are the four matches I wish I, like again, Fernandez and Isimova being one, I should have flexed that or uh, I'm blanking on names. There are have you, to have been other good match. Uh, who did Benchich play? I think Benchich played in Isimova, to be honest. I'm keeping, I keep turning to Amanda and Isimova. There were a lot of good matches in that bottom Half of the draw. Another good match, unfortunately, obviously ended with an injury, but there were opportunities for flexing, certainly. And if her answer would have reflected that, that I did make some poor choices, that said, if you look at the upsets of the top seeds, there were, from a name perspective, more available in this specific tournament, but that's something I need to improve on. Again, not a great answer, but a significantly better answer. That's not the answer she gave. Do you think, though, I mean, we talk about it from our perspective, right, as being like big fans of tennis. Do you think a casual fan, the ones, you know, main ones buying the tickets, would rather see Anisimova Fernandez or Alcaraz or this, you know, big name Carlos Alcaraz playing catching up? Fernandez and Nisimova is two big names. I think the majority of fans who are buying a night session ticket at the French Open would recognize those two names because Amanda Nisimova made a French Open semifinal. And Leila Fernandez was one of the sensations at the end of last season, justifiably so, obviously, and is a former junior French Open champion. Yeah, you can sell that ticket, I think, pretty easily. 
I, 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 I just you're right. Alcaraz is the biggest draw of the bunch. But if you're rating them one to four, it's one Alcaraz, you know, gap, two, three, Anisimova Fernandez, bigger gap, Hatchinov. Like I, I do think, like, I think that would be the bigger draw. Now again, if you want to go through each of the days, you can do that and pick specific matches. I probably should have done that before this segment, but this is why we wanted to have you on the show because I didn't particularly plan well I'm, for I'm this. Sorry, segment. no. I, we, I mean, no, no, no. Don't apologize. This is why we wanted to have you on the show because this is something that certainly, uh, you know, at la- it's more the tennis Twitter population than I suppose the at large population. But yeah, I, I do think upsets were a part of that. On the same note, we haven't talked about it here on this show. Look, if we want tennis to continue to exist, they have to sell the rights. Does it absolutely suck that Tennis Channel buys the rights, but because of some side deal or whatever it may be, the the, the matches are flexed on to Peacock, a streaming service you have to pay extra for. And if you're already paying for a Tennis Channel Plus subscription to have any match removed from that, that to me as a Tennis Channel Plus subscriber, is just unfair and ridiculous. I understand having the option on Peacock as well, and I understand, again, I don't know the mechanics of the deal, but we are already paying for Tennis Channel Plus, and we were told Tennis Channel bought the rights to the French Open, and now you're asking us to pay for something additional as well. It's just nonsensical. It makes it more difficult to follow the matches. Now, I will say it was only the nighttime flexed primetime match, and shout out to Tennis Channel for being like, well, we cannot do that with Djokovic Nadal, uh, but it's definitely a, a source of frustration, certainly, yeah. especially just given the fact that this always seems to be the case with tennis streaming is that there's never one platform except for the greatest of all platform livestream.com slash ATP. <laughs> well, oh, that's a whole yeah, another rest in, peace. rest in peace. I still don't understand why they got rid of that. It uh, definitely means the gambling deal g- expired and they didn't renew. It's because it's because. Quite, I love Challenger TV. It was just, I just think it was easier to navigate the uh, live stream. It's a discussion for another time, but yes, do you have yes. anything else to add on well, the, I mean, again, any response? Well, I know I talked yeah, yeah. a lot at you. No, I apologize. No, no don't, don't, do not apologize. Yeah, you're right. I don't apologize, first of all. It's more like I would love to hear your response. Yeah, yeah. So let's first, let's, I think we should first get rid of one out of 10. It was really one out of nine, right? Because the night session on the same night as the Champions League final was really a disadvantage as opposed to an advantage. I mean, I mean now we're talking thin. It, that Again, one out of eight versus one in nine, it's not yeah, yeah. significant. Yeah, if you're yeah. in the court of law, they're not saying, oh, you just raised your percentages by 11%. You, you, congrats, you win the argument. Like, I don't think that that yeah. makes No, 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 difference. I agree. I, you know, I agree in, in principle. I, I agree in a vacuum. I, I just am maybe a little more skeptical than you are about the casual fan. I, I, I think that the casual fan is much, much more excited about an Alcaraz than a, than a Fernandez or a, an Amisimova. I think that's where maybe there's, but I do agree that Kachanov would be fourth on the list, but I think Alcaraz is equally. Okay. But but what you have to – and I understand your point, but what's the better match in a vacuum? You're thinking, okay, who are the names? And you do your rankings. One, two, three, four. Yeah. What is would, What has the potential for the better match and makes attending the match and buying that ticket worthwhile? The better the better match is Anisimova. But the better match for a night slot on its own on television is the Alcaraz catching on. I mean, I would ask why, but it really is subjective. Yeah. And so it's tough to say. I mean, it again, it's a discussion always worth having. Correct, correct, I, to you, Catherine Whitaker for asking the question. Do you think, though, that the U.S. I like I think like I, don't, I hated having only men's matches, too. I think it should be both. Do you think it should just be one or the other? Or do you think it should be both? Well, to ask to double session, it would ask them to reexamine how they do the schedule. And there's just incorporating the night session into French Open play. And it's not you know, still clear how they plan to time that moving forward, if they do plan to expand it moving forward as well. She even referenced in her answer, she meaning Emily Moresmo, the difficulties of the one match on the night session and not having that option to flex two. 
it's something to definitely consider as you move forward at the French Open, but it's also something for us to consider after the tournament because we have four matches for us to recap today. I want to talk about some other things as well. we got to probably sneak in a little Little Rock if we can at the end. And well, with all, I know with, you want to talk about Cassone or Cassa. How do you pronounce it? Murphy? Uh, Murphy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do. I don't feel partic- particularly strong about him one way or the other because it's not a guy I was fully invested into yet. It's still a new revelation to me. And yeah, we'll talk about him here today. But of course, the reason we're able to talk about all of these things day in, day out. Oh, you thought I forgot. I did not, <laughs> folks, is because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. I will keep it brief. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Best equipment, best prices, all in one location. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. CR15. With all of that said, David, let's get into today's matches. And the place I want to start is with top-seeded Iga Fiontek because certainly you look at the numbers presented by our friends Tennis Abstract. They give her a 71.7% chance of capturing the title. Next closest is Coco Goff at 17.2. You look at our friends at DraftKings. Iga Fiontek now minus 400 versus the rest of the field. Goff plus 400. Kasich Kina, uh, plus 750. Trevisan, 16-1 to odds. You look for Iga Swiatek today in a 6-3-6-2 victory against Jesse Pagula. Certainly, again, by her standards, it was not the best day at the office. 30 yeah. winners against 28 unforced errors. Now, again, a plus-two ratio for most players. You thought that that's pretty well done. You know, she makes 70% of her first serves, wins 63% of those points, wins 36 of the 54 points she plays on serve overall in the match, you know, only faced two break points and was broken only one time. Now, part of that had to do with Jesse Pagula, who clearly was a bit fatigued from her previous round, a three-set victory over Barra, but... You know, Pagula came out of the gates more aggressive than she typically is. She was taking chances, trying to end points a bit earlier, also trying to take advantage of the fact that Sviantec was generating a healthy amount of unforced errors. And I mentioned the 28 unforced errors for her overall in the match. 16 of them come in set number one. That said... Despite not playing her best tennis, as you pointed out, David, it was a 6-3-6-2, hour-and-a-half victory for Iga Swiatek, her 33rd consecutive victory. You look for Iga now on this season. It's a laughable, laughable record for her, a ridiculous now 42-3 and overall. That's a 93% win percentage. Again, she's dropped one set in her last, let's see, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 11 matches. She's dropped one set, David. In her last 11 matches, Crazy. even her not at her best to beat a player in Jessica Pagula 3-2. and two. Pagula, who, again, has won about 70% of her matches over the past year and a half. She, how big is the delta between her and the rest of the field? Where are you with your confidence level in Iga heading into championship weekend? Well, yeah, we talk about it, and I completely agree. The match was closer than the scoreline. Um, yeah. Especially and- early. Early on, you know, Sviantek was struggling and producing unforced errors. I would argue of those 16 first set unforced errors, probably eight of them came in the first three games of the match. The backhand was spring. She started even you know, removing pace and just elevating balls just to try and find her rhythm and extend some rallies. And credit to Pagula, who did not allow her to do that. Started taking the ball early, started taking some chances. I liked the game plan from Pagula. Yeah, she just couldn't execute it, and she just didn't ever really look comfortable on the clay out there. You know, Swiatek, it was a very complete performance. She won 67% of her service points. As you mentioned, 30 winners, 28 on four stairs, uh, won nine of 10 points at the net. Um, and then on her return, she won 51% of her return points, and she broke five times. Now, in every match... <laughs> it's, this- it's just ridiculous, by the way. It's just like, yeah, she didn't play well, but she won 51% of her return points. She broke five times. Let's see, there were nine plus eight is 17 games. She broke over 50% of the time. That means uh, on the Jessica Pagula serve and continues to break serve over 50% of the season, which I went back and looked through history, David, only according to the tennis abstract numbers, and I'm not including Navratilova and Graf, but since 2000, the only other player who has done that for a full season is Simona Halep. Wow. It's just, it's just pretty crazy. She's in the, uh, 
she is in the top 15 on the season for percentage of second serve return points one, and she's in the top five for uh, first serve return points one. The way her complete game, the serve, the return, the forehand, the way she moves, the point construction, I could go on and I, I could yeah. list off things until I'm blue in the face. I, I'm just so impressed with her and she's able to win when she's not at her best. But, and the thing is about her, and this is why I'm pretty damn confident that she's going to win it, not even come close to losing another set. She struggles the most against players with power this season, right? Uh Your Kanepis, your Ostapenkos, your Kinwen Zangs. And for the record, and I know you're not implying this, but struggle is all relative. It's like she doesn't really struggle, but she like – you have a chance. The Samsonovas of the world who played her really close. It's like if you can (laughs) – this is so ridiculous to say, David, but it's like, hey, if you can hit winners and win free points, then maybe you have a chance. Right. And that's why Daria Kazakina is going to really, really, really struggle in their semifinal match. So I'm happy you said this, and I apologize for cutting you off. I don't apologize, but you know what I mean. But I want to present this question to you because I approached this uh, topic as well on yesterday's show. And that two of us are thinking this way means perhaps it may just be correct. The problem I see when I look at the rest of this field Goff is the most interesting to me because she at least has the first serve where if it's landing, okay, now she's playing some points on the, on her terms with the nerves, with the airs that may be produced. The fact that there's some physicality, uh, that she can match the physicality and that there is some history between the two of them from a pedigree standpoint, that match is interesting to me. I look at the Trevisan forehand and it's like, sure, if she has time to set on it, she moves the ball extraordinarily well, but she's not going to have any time against right. Iga because Iga's going to feast on the serve. Kasakina wants to move you around the court and play at neutral. It's like Iga doesn't play at neutral. She dominates you. So to your point, from a matchup perspective, I just oh, – Iga's biggest opponent for the rest of this French Open is herself. I was hoping you were going to say that because I was thinking before you said herself, I was also thinking herself. You're going to end that sentence with herself. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And we saw a little of that against uh, Kinwen Zhang. Um, yes. He looked stressed. And even against Kovinich uh, in, in towards the end of that second set, she looked a little stressed and like she wasn't nearly as comfortable. And that's why I thought that Pagula was going to have a better shot than she ended up having today in large part, but I, I think, I just think the problem with Pagula today was Sviantek made too many first serves. She was just hitting her spot so well. And Pagula is an exceptional returner and I'll take her backhand on the rise as you know, as, and feel as comfortable with that shot as just about any shot on, on the WTA tour from a consistency standpoint. That said, Sviantek just, there was too much action on that second ball. Yeah. And I think Pagula has gotten a lot better as a mover on the clay in particular. Go watch the Barra match back, how well she was sliding around the court. And Begu, just, right? Uh, Begu, did I say Barra? Yeah. Thank you. The Begu yeah. match. Uh, just go look how well she was neutralizing. And, yeah. You know, oh, my God. She moved so well in that match. Which is why I thought she had a chance today against Sviantek. But much like the Chilich-Rublev match, it's just like uh, Sviantek's weapons are another level and yeah. I mean so let's flip gears here and talk about Daria yeah. Sakina who yeah. earns a 6-4-7-6 victory over Veronica Kudermatova to advance to her first slam semifinal and I made the case yesterday for Kasakina as well you look for her and what she's accomplished here in 2022 it's a really impressive resume David 23 and 10 overall she's winning 70% of her matches you look at who the losses are to this season she had a tough stretch in North America. Loses to Kerber, second round Indian Wells, 2-1, and one, which, by the way, is not a bad loss. Then the loss to Sasnovich in Miami is bad. Outside of that, here are the losses. Sviantek, 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 Jabour, Jabour, Anisimova, and a three-set battle with Cerebez Tormo in Madrid. They're outside of North America. 
there is not a bad loss on Kasakina's resume this season. And I know she's reached top 10 in the world before back in 2018, but her floor now as a player has just been raised significantly. And you look for Kasakina, who this season is fifth overall in break percentage. You have to have a Barty in Osaka, a Sviantek-like weapon of a first serve and plus one game to get the point started, to get Kasakina on her back foot far enough that she can't turn defense into offense. Now, the question, is, you know, again, can Kisakina do that to someone of Iga Sviantek's caliber? You also have on the flip side, Daria Kisakina, who has gotten better as a server, but still ranks 47th amongst top 50 players in hold percentage this season. And, She's taken yeah. on the number one returner, the only other player in the, you know, one of two players in the 21st century to break over 50% of the time in Iga Sviantek. It's just a brutal matchup. She's also outside the top 100 for first and second serves one. It's uh, not good. It, it just, it, it, like we said earlier with how for both first and second serve return points, once Viatek is in the top 15, um, top five, I think for first serve. So, I mean, it's a really bad matchup. I, you mentioned it earlier and I really, and this is the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Kazakina's game is her, the way she moves the ball around the court with such precision her forehand cross-court short angle is delightful. It it reminds me and I of Hugo Delian. Yeah, the, sure, sure. I see, but see but that? there's but there's more athleticism there yeah. comparatively to the field. Yes, I completely agree. She moves around the court so, so well. Yeah, touch shots are great. The backhand slice. Solid. Yes, the side, the backhand slice. The honestly, the forehand slice isn't horrible either, and she likes to mix those in. The variety, all, yeah. all her, her drop shots. And I think that, you know, against almost any other player, she's won, what, nine of 10 matches? Uh, yeah, 23 and 10 on the year. Should have beaten Javor in Rome, too. Uh, yeah. Javor hit a shot that was like a quarter of an inch on the line uh, yeah. on match point. So I'm really impressed with her. I just think she's coming. I think she just is running into a buzzsaw. Yeah. And the problem is, and Georgie may have this sort of power, but just can't do it consistency consistently enough. Some of you out there may be like, well, Alex, you know, on yesterday's show, you mentioned Veronica Kudermatova was ninth in hold percentage. And if if Kasakina can have success against her, why can't she have success against the number three server in Sviantek? The answer to that question is, again, you look for Kudermatova as a returner. She's 48th amongst top 50 players in break percentage. Sviantek's good at everything. Kasakina has a vulnerability in that first serve, and that vulnerability was it's neutralized bad. given, again, the inconsistency on return of Veronica Kudermatova. You also look for Kasakina against Kudermatova. You know, she served, she didn't have particular amounts of success on serve. She made 74% of her first serves, but, you know, she only won 55% of her service points for the match. And, you know, the key for her in this match was she created 17 breakpoint chances for herself, converted on five of them. Now it was five of 17, but was just consistently in Every game of Veronica Kudermatova, and you look at the numbers, Kudermatova, 38 winners to Kasakina's 16. She also had 50 unforced errors to Kasakina's 25. So this gets back to the narrative of who's Iga Sviantek's biggest enemy in that semifinal? It's herself, because Kasakina will roll the ball in play, will find angles, will extend rallies, will make you uncomfortable. But the ball, and this, by the way, 30 minutes in, you're like, this is the analysis we come for. The ball is on the racket of the player with a 33-match win streak. But, yes, that's what this comes down to. It's eager to lose. Yeah, she's just – the thing about Kazakina is when we say she's doesn't have a good serve, I'm talking like she just rolls it into play. I think her kick serve out wide is effective because of how much space it opens up. That's true. And then she's able to. Exactly. And then you're paralyzed because you're like, is she going to go to the open court? And it's like, no, you know, it's the 0.78 version of Carlos Alcaraz loading on that ad side wing where it's just like, what is she going to do with this forehand? I have no clue. Yeah. But again, at the same time, it's like Sviatek's just going to neutralize that and get the point neutral and then take over with her forehand. She actually talked today about her backhand was the key to success. Her backhand's looking really good too. So I don't want to, you know, 
No, it's a bad. It's a tough. Like I agree, it's a really difficult. If anyone can make the the case for David, it's you, in my opinion, because you just think outside the box. But it's a really tough case to make. And you look, obviously, yeah. you know, Iga's beaten her three times this season. Dropped five games at the most in all three of those matches. Now Kasakina did beat her on the grass courts last year, but grass courts are not clay courts. I mean, it's tough to think that this is the match where Iga Svantec is going to get tripped up. Now, on the flip side, let's look at quarterfinal number two, and then we can move on to the men's side. You look in terms of Coco Goff against Trevisan. Coco Goff has yet to drop a set in this tournament, David. I now, was I know- mad I was wrong about Coco. Well, we talked about it before the tournament, and I think we can both take the L slightly because you look at her resume on the clay, first round loss in Madrid, th- you know, round of 16, uh, first round Stuttgart, round of 16, Madrid and Rome. Again, context being key, she loses to Daria Kasakina, who's in the semifinals of the 2022 French Open. Right. That is not a bad loss with context. She loses in Madrid to Simona Halep, who at the time looked like one of the five players most likely to win the 2022 French Open. And then in Rome, she loses to a Maria Sakkari 4-5, and five, who we know when Sakkari plays her best tennis, she's going to match up with anyone she can beat. Now, again, you look for Coco Goff. This is another case of talked me through the losses this season, 19-10 and 10 overall this year. Who are the losses to? Barty in three sets, not a bad loss. Keys in three sets in Australia, not a bad loss. Pagula in Dubai, not a bad loss. Soccer in Doha, not a bad loss. Halep, Indian Wells, Shriantek, Miami, neither are bad losses. We already talked about the Clays. The only bad loss for her was the first round of the Australian Open. That was her one on the year. By the way, 18 years old, that's going to happen. Outside of that one, she I mean, does she have a signature victory this season? Bedosa and Doha, maybe. But maybe she does maybe that's it. That's the one signature victory for her. That said, there's only one bad loss on her resume as well. And half the battle, as we know, in this era of the WTA tour is beating the players she's supposed to beat. Well, Coco Goff was presented five players she was supposed to beat in this 2022 French Open. She's beaten them all, David, and I think she's looked pretty damn good doing it. You are, like, neutralizing all my arguments about <laughs> the not the good wins and about how she's had a weaker draw, which is true, but she is beating the players that she's supposed to beat. Well, it's not that she's beating them. It's that she's beating them in straight sets. It would be yeah. one thing if it was survival, and it's just like every match is a roller coaster. Now the first sets have been tight in a couple of them, but then she like then she carries away. Then her physicality wins out. She just wears you down. She starts landing more first serves, can play more aggressive. Being on the clay, her forehand is just more effective. There's a reason she's a junior French Open champ. Like, she's pretty damn good. I mean, again, I mentioned the stats earlier. You look for her in her career at the WTA level uh, in terms of on clay court. She's a pretty impressive 28 and 10, David. Yeah, I mean, she's won 55% of her return points, at least 55% on the second serve and almost in every match. And and that's the difference between her on this surface and a faster surface is just the forehand's a less of a liability. Because, yeah, she has more time to set up. And the forehand is, I mean, it's not great, but it's been solid. The backhand, you know, was doing what we expected it to do, controlling the baseline. You mentioned the serve has been pretty good. She's And she's taken advantage of a weaker draw. You know, Murden's tried to outlast her from the baseline. Uh, she was able to hang in there physically, hung in there, and then took control in the second set um, and overpowered Murden's. You know, Sloan... Sloan was, I thought, the better player for stretches of the first set, but she couldn't sustain it. Um, like, golf has just been steady. I That's think- exactly yeah. it. And I, her, we talked about this, uh, you know, with Kasatkina. Coco Goff just knows how to move on a clay court. She just yeah. slides into each of the balls and, again, is so comfortable loading on that forehand and hitting it on the slide. And she can actually, ch- you know, change direction out of corners just better than – the majority of you know male or female players she's just comfortable on the dirt and you know again she's taken on someone in Trevisan who it's interesting Trevisan uh, a poor man's Jill Teichman you know heavy with the forehand's gonna hit her spots well when you give her time on that forehand wing she's either lacing one behind you or she's going to open up angle for herself cross court you know, she. I think the backhand's sneaky heavy as well. The problem is the serve sits up. You know, it's not yeah. going to create her free points for her against Coco Goff. Goff's been very consistent on the return of serve here at this French Open. 
And I think Goff is going to be able to dictate if she lands enough first serves, which she's been able to do throughout the course of this tournament. Plus, uh, you know, when Trevisan goes heavy cross court with her forehand, she's going into Goff's strength in her backhand. So that's not going to be super effective. Kudos to Trevisan, though. I Absolutely. Would, up, she's I, doing, don't you agree she's doing the best impersonation of tomorrow's Zidanezic? Like, it's so great. It was like last year's Zidanezic. This well, year, Trevisan. Well, it's like I, I watched her match against Shui Zhang in, or Zhang Shui in, in Rome. She was terrible. She was yeah. horrible in that match. Um, and to think that she has made, you know, in 2020, she made the quarterfinals at the French Open, lost to Sviatek. Um, now she's in the semifinals. It's like, what is going on here? Uh, I, you know, she, and I, it, it's also, I, I think, I don't think you mentioned this yet, but I'm, I, she won Rabat last week or two weeks ago too. Um, so she's currently on a 10 match winning streak and it all started, well, really, she, well, she beat uh, you in uh, hmm. Rabat, but then she played Garbina Muguruza in the second round of Rabat. She was down a set and a break and she came back and she won that match and the rest is history. And I'm just, I'm super impressed. You know, I don't, there is what a one five percent chance she wins this ter- tournament, even though she's in the semifinals. I don't think she has a shot, but I'm impressed with her resolve, her fight, her forehand. It's it's been a really great tournament for her. So kudos to, to yeah. uh, Martina. No, I mean again, 28 years old. I believe she's now up to a new career high in the live rankings. You look for Trevisan, I believe. Yeah, 28 years old, number 26 now in the live rankings. You get to set your schedule rest of the season. You have this to bank on. You get to expand. She's played fewer than you know 100 WTA level matches in her career, and now you get to just bank paychecks rest of the season. You're going to be in first rounds at every Slam you play. Yeah, you look for her again. Career at the WTA tour level. She's oh, excuse me, 126 matches. She's 61 and. 65. You're going to get to bank 20 more at least over the course of the the remaining year. And again, you're going to get into all of the clay court action next season. You look for this year, she had to play qualies in, you know, in Madrid and uh, got into Rome, but as a wild card, you know, she's going to get into those. She'll get into Stuttgart next year as well. It just it, it's going to be a fun year for Trevisan. She has this to bank. She has the Rabat, obviously, ch- uh, title she won the week before as well. What we're learning is if you're a WTA player, play the week before the twenty uh, the twenty twenty three French Open. Last year was Krachikova. This year Goff or this year Trevisan. Excuse me. It's just a good it's it's a good move. Uh, obviously, yeah. although maybe none of that'll matter if Iga continues to look like Iga. With all that said, before we move on to our men's semifinal previews, and we can do those quickly as uh, more quickly, I should say, as we have more time to get ready for those matches. Uh, who you got? Give me your semifinal predictions, final prediction. Are you going Ego over Coco in the final? Are we giving score lines or just... Uh... You can give me a score line if you want. Right. People want to know the game spread. I'll, I'll say Sviatek 6-3-6-1, and I'll say Goff wins 6-3-6-2. Um, all right. I'll take it. And then final what score. You, what, 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 uh, I'll say Sviatek wins 6-4, 6-2, I agree that uh, with those winners, I would say I honestly agree with all of them will be in straight sets as well. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward the rest of the way. I think Goff. Is, yeah. I think that first set goes 7-6. I think there's oh, going to wow. be a breaker, and then Iga pulls away 6-3, second set. But it's going to be a good two-hour match. Where I, I'm going to switch set. mine to 6-3, second set. And I'll say 7-5 in the first. So we're, right. not, we're not exactly the same. No, it's good. I, that Again, that means it's going to be a blowout one way or the other or a three-set battle. So either way, if we're very wrong, those are both very interesting results. With that in mind, let's move over to the men's side. Let's start with today's matches. And I forgot we got to talk about today's matches because they were freaking exceptional and again we'll they start just ended yeah we'll start with Marin Chilich who is five seven six three six four three six seven six victory now if you're Andre Rublev the two points that are going to haunt you most five all return game love 15 second serve you miss it long 15 30 second serve you miss it in the net Chilich goes on to hold in a long service game. You look overall in the match, Rublev 2 of 8 on breakpoint chances. There were certainly opportunities. That said, the story of this match is Marin Chilich. 
33 aces against just two double faults. He hits 88 winners against 71 unforced errors. Any time he got a look at a forehand and had his feet set, he was going Mach 5. And God damn it, David, did he land that forehand just about 90% of the time. It was a display of plus one tennis and the consistency and discipline with which he executed, executed it. You just ask yourself, if 26-year-old Marin Cilic, that sort of athleticism, had the mindset and the aggression of this Marin Cilic, would we be talking about a big four and instead of Murray, we'd be talking Chilich Because, again, he's the well, prototype. You see a Medvedev. You see a Zverev. You see the quarters of the world. The fluidity, the size, the power combination, that's Marin Chilich. And I remember seeing him in his first matches 2005, 2006, and just thinking, who is this alien that is doing things no one else can do on a tennis court? He's still doing it all these years later, David. Yeah. Well, first off, I I just got to say, it always bothers me when people talk about a big four. There's no such thing as a big four. There's a big three. I disagree. There was a big four era. When you look big picture, it's a big three. Because from 2012 to 2016, Murray was absolutely in the mix. He reached world number one. He won three slams. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but it's big picture. It's the big three. But there was the big four era. But anyways, we, that's my – let's we, we, get back to Chilich. Yeah, okay, yeah. If we're doing – okay, yes, that's for another conversation. Yeah. Okay. So back to Chilich. He won 80% of his uh, first serves in that fifth set. In the fifth set of a Grand Slam quarterfinal, he saved his one break point, which I believe – as you mentioned, was 5-5 in the uh, third set. Um, and he, you know, it's also e- almost equally impressive. He didn't let, because he, ha- he had a match point in Rublev's previous service game with Rublev serving at 30-40-4-5 in the fifth. Um, and he didn't let it mentally get get to him. He could have easily folded in that five-all service game. The mental effort, and like I mentioned earlier, with the Medved, to not even... Daniil Medvedev, I know he's on clay, to not even face one break point in that match. It's just crazy. And then we haven't even touched on his fifth set super tie break today. He was at a level that I don't think Nadal could have touched. And I'm really being serious. I could not believe the power tennis he was playing. He wasn't missing a lot either. You know, I Typically, when you think of Chilich on, play, you th- on clay, you think of him, you know, getting a big serve and holding easily usually, but eventually he's going to crack and have that service game where he's missing his first serves and making unforced errors. It's just not happening anymore. And it doesn't compute in my head, but I have to accept this new reality. <laughs> You're absolutely right, and you pointed to so many different things. It felt like I, he it felt like he was down fifteen thirty in about fifty percent of his service games, and on just about every one of those fifteen thirty points, it would either be an ace down the tee or a big serve wide that Rublev would have to slice back or bump back with his backhand, and then Chilich just unloaded on a forehand. Yep. Like that combination must have happened, and thankfully, due to the French Open website, we can have the rally analysis. Chilich won one hundred seventy five points in the match. 121 of them were plus one shots, you know, the zero to four shot rallies. Now, to Rublev's credit, he won 115 zero to four shot rallies. As good as Chilich was with the plus one, Rublev matched him. And that was the difference between Rublev and Medvedev. Rublev had weapons from the ground to stress the no longer exceptional movement of Marin Chilich. And when Rublev was able to land first serves and play on his front foot and dictate terms, when either guy was able to do that, I mean, again, Chilich wins 74% of his first serves. Rublev wins 78% of his first serve points. To your point, David, again, Rublev, two of seven on breakpoint chances. Chilich, two of eight. They're pretty even there. Both guys had a couple of opportunities. It comes down to a fifth set breaker. And to your point, Marin Chilich just executed the finest fifth set breaker we have seen in the fifth set breaker era. 10-2 victory. It had nothing to do with Andre Rublev. For serves, big forehands, down the line return winners on the rise, Chilich did it all in that tiebreaker, was clipping line after line. And you could see a desperation in Rublev's face that hadn't been there throughout the course of the match. Credit to Rublev. He was so steady and just, you know, was saying, okay, this guy, if he's going to keep swinging like this, there's nothing I can do but just focus on my own game, focus on my execution. And again, for four hours and three minutes, 
Rublev was right there with Chilich. He played well enough to advance to the semifinals of a Grand Slam. But those last seven minutes were all Marin Chilich. Yeah. And now he's played at this level, David, for six consecutive hours. And it begs the question, as we look at Holger Rune, who, uh, Holger Rune, excuse me, Casper Root, who, with all due respect, four-set victory today, you know, earned, uh, uh, you know, uh, the five-set victory over Senego was the big one. I still don't think we've seen him play his best tennis Lost at this 2022 Sandra. French Open. Exactly. And so with that in mind, is Chilich now the favorite to reach the final? Well, and the thing about Rude, too, is honestly, last week in Geneva, he should have lost to Sal Souza in the final. Um, he lost to Djokovic in Rome, and then he lost to Lai. I thought the Lajevic in Madrid match was poor. I really haven't seen it. I know he's in the semifinals. I know he has. He's going to have. I guess me, I was going to say he's the best weapon on the court, the biggest weapon in the court in his forehand. I don't know if he does with Chilich playing like this. Um, the conventional part of my brain wants to say there's no way in a best of five clay match that Marin, Marin Chilich is going to be Casper Rude, given Rude's forehands and clay court point construction and tendencies and his ability to get himself forehands. With that said, I didn't think that Medvedev would lose, and I didn't think that uh, Rublev would lose. And so I'm, I think it's going to be close. And I, I think that if Rude is going to win this, he's got to play better than he has. I don't think his current level is going to cut. What do you? I mean, what do you think? Well, so first of all, just quickly on the Rublev note. You look for Andre Rublev, if you would have said, you know, on paper we'll look back and say he lost five sets to a 33-year-old Marin Cilic when it was the opportunity was right there for him to make the final at this Grand Slam. That said, I hope everyone listening to this podcast and everyone who actually watched the match will never use that argument. Because to your point, if Cilic sustains this level, he's just playing better than Kasper Root. And Root is not yeah. serving well enough, nor hitting the forehand well enough, nor imposing himself physically well enough. Although he certainly had uh, pockets where he was able to do it, little 10-minute stretches against Holger Runa today where he looked good enough to do that. But Cilic is preventing rhythm. Chilich is teeing off on every first strike. And look, Chilich only has one day off between his quarterfinal and semifinal. And that was by far the more physical of the two matches, just given the age. And, you know, Casper Root, 23 years old, just going to bounce back a little bit easier than someone a decade older than him. He also spent an hour less time on court. That said, I mean, so, so when you look for, you know, again, for Casper Root, I mean, first of all, I'm curious if you agree with my point about Andre Rublev uh, that he – I don't think this was a bad loss for him. I think this had everything to do with Marin Cilic. I would also say this wasn't a bad loss for Holger Runa either as we look at both of the matches. I do think Kasper Ruud was the better player. Certainly there was a lapse in concentration. The error started piling up at the end of that second set, and you look for Kasper Ruud in total uh, in the match. Ruud ultimately – 55 winners against 24 unforced errors. He hit eight of his 24 errors, so a third of them came in one of the four sets. I thought Casper Ruud was pretty steady. I thought Runa pushed him physically. And how then about Runa came Holger up with some, Rune? How about his servant volleying? Like, how delightful was that? I, yeah, the guy's a stud. The forehand has improved leaps and bounds from the way yeah. it used to be. It's a weapon. His ability to take it on the rise, to move it around the court. Whenever Casper was throwing up that backhand, loopy, you know, neutral ball, Runa was using his footwork, using his quickness to get around that ball. And then he's really unpredictable, whether it's drop shot, like he started employing in the second set, inside in, inside out, following that ball in. He's turned, he just has weapons now. He hits that drop shot really well. Yeah, and the, I've always... I used to think at least that his backhand was better than his forehand. Now I'm not so sure. I'm really impressed with both wings. And I'm also impressed the running joke and it's pretty warranted on Twitter is that he cramps up every match and he, but he held it together physically in this tournament really well. Um, about as well as you can hope for Holger. I think the day off helped. Um, and so it was a really positive tournament for him. Um, now we can talk about, you know, should he, if Stefano Tsitsipas played remotely close to what he's capable of, should he have won that match? No, I'm not, well, 
we can save the sipsy pasta conversation. Well, I think that the thing is Holgerun just sticks around. Like, again, yeah. physically, uh, first of all, the backhand's so fluid. His drop shot, backhand, passing shot combination, absolutely delightful. But it wasn't enough against Kasparud, who, unlike Stefano Tsitsipas, was able to slow things down and just find depth, wait for the rune a short ball, bail himself out with a few more first serves. And you look for Kasparud in this match, only made 58% of his first serves. But but, uh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, for Casper made uh, 68% of his first serves, win 79% of those points, you know, 13 aces. He was just able to find more free points than Tsitsipas was. You know, again, Runa has to continue to develop those weapons to make life easier for him in sets one and two so that he can rely on his physicality in sets three, four, and five. But this is a kid who's 19 years old. Yeah, like you look for him now in the live rankings, Holger Runa up to number 28 in the live rankings. He's, They're per, rising yeah, like, quickly, huh? He, he's, the schedule is set. You're never playing qualifying again. Like we never yeah. have to have the wild card debate. He's into everything. Well, we can still have it with Murray, right? Uh, that's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, with that said, Zverev, Joku, uh, Zverev Nadal, excuse me, sorry, Zverev Nadal, leave it in, uh, Rude versus Chilich, who you got, David, what's your final, who's your winner? Uh, first off, I got to say, I am really impressed with Alexander Zverev. I mean, the way that I was just waiting for those double faults to start flowing and the in the weak forehand shanks and him trying to get into pusher mode. He stayed aggressive in that match against Alcaraz. He really, he took the fight to Alcaraz and I don't think Carlos was expecting that. Um, I, I was really impressed with how Zverev played that match, both in terms of his game and also in terms of how his mental game and, and his, you know, physical game. So kudos to him. Um, Nad- who wins against him versus Nadal? Unlike uh, when, when I was talking about Trevisan uh, mm-hmm. hitting her lefty forehand into uh, Coco Goff's backhand being a bad thing, Nadal will still be able to be fine when he goes with his lefty forehand cross court into the Zvira. I actually think it's the forehand down the line to the Zvira forehand. That's the one, like, that's the, the tough ball for Zvira of the handle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the for the Zvira's backhand is so much better than his forehand. I think he won't have trouble in any – I think he might drop a set. I could. He's been a little less steady. Maybe it's the foot. I don't – who knows what painkillers he's on. Um, he seems very coy and very much like it'll get me through this tournament not much longer. So that's always a concern with Nadal um, is the is the foot. Um, but I think that he wins in four sets. What do you think? And then, oh, wait, did you ask about? Yeah, uh, I want semifinals, finals, all of it. Okay. So I'm not going to give score lines for best of five. It's too complicated. Nadal in four. I'm going to, oh, man, this chilly, chilly. I'm going to say Casper Root in four, and then I'll say Nadal in three in the final. I think whoever wins the top half obviously going to be favored in the final. You no th- one's doing it, so I want to be the guy who picks Virov to win in four. If he serves like he did against Carlos Alcaraz, he can absolutely win the match. He just like found his spot whenever yeah. he needed it. It's one of those moments where you forget he's six six, and then he can do all the physical stuff as well, extend the match, and he was hitting so well out of his corners. <sighs> but only a fool picks against Nadal at the French Open. So if I was making an official pick, I would take Nadal, Rude, Nadal. If I was picking for Spice, I'd take Zverev, Rude, Zverev. And I just don't want to be the fool who picks against Nadal again. I picked Djokovic. I was wrong. I'm just, you can't pick against Nadal twice in one tournament. Yeah, and I, I, I've started to feel that way whenever I go against Biotech on the, win- on the women's side. Uh, it's like, what are you doing? I remember I thought, I think back to when Sviatek uh, lost to, and I know this is, I'm sorry, I'm going off track. Uh, but Sviatek, I remember, I, I thought Contivate in Doha was going to beat Sviatek. And in hindsight, that just looks so stupid. Uh, but I completely agree with your predictions on both the men's and the women's side. I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the obvious picks. Those are the money odds favorites, obviously. Rafael Nadal has ascended as the favorite. I mean, I think there's a case to be made for Zverev. I'm going to save it for tomorrow's podcast because okay. we still have another day for the semifinals. Last thing, quickly, Little Rock, go. Uh-huh. 
Um, okay, so let's talk about Kasson. I He's only been broken four times this week um, in four matches. That's really impressive. Include, he got, I believe he got broken twice in the first set against Michael Moe, and then he wasn't broken again. That's a good win. There yeah. was a questionable line calling and qualities, but I'm just going to say this. I think he's played well enough to make it to where he is right now. His first serve's been... First serve is a big weapon. I'm sure you've seen him much more than I have, but I was very impressed about his first serve. Um, really, it was not expecting that. Um, have you, what, what are your thoughts on how has he done in college? Um, well, he was excellent this season. And you look for him in particular, you know, tough ending for him for, to the season lost first round of the NCAA tournament. I believe he ended up losing to Mate Votzel, fifth-year senior for really? Ohio State, which is not a bad loss considering, again, Votzel was top 10 in the country all season long. And, you know, again, I don't think that's a, a bad loss for Murphy, but you look for him overall in the year. I mean, 10-5 and five in dual match play. And, you know, again, you look for him uh, specifically – the, the players he was able to beat and the success he was able to have. I mean, the only losses for him were to the players like the Arthur Ferries, the Cookermans of the world, the top 10, 15 players in college tennis. All the signs are there for him to have success. Now, again, I to see him serve as well as he had this week and just, you know, again, he just seems very confident in his plays, in going after his own ball. Yeah. And it feels like the bigger you hit at him, the bigger the ball comes back at you. I need to see more. You know, again, yeah. I think the game of a Kovacevic makes a little bit more sense, just how he serves the forehand, the dominance he can play when he's on his terms. I think when you'll get to watch more Ben Shelton, I mean, the yeah, way the ball springs off his really racket. Impressive. Oh, my gosh. I Like, again, if he do, if he comes back to college next season, it's because he didn't play enough pro events in the, in the fall and the summer because I just think if he plays the pro events, the success will be there. Uh, no, it, it's still early in Little Rock. I want to see more matches. You know, I would love to see a little Rinky Hijikata Brandon Holt rematch, which I think we have tomorrow. I'm very much looking forward to it, or just UNC USC National Indoors 2020 rematch. But it's still early. I need to see more Little Rock. Is my answer to you, big picture? Okay, yeah. I mean, Ben Sheldon, super. That lefty serve is going. The slice to out the- wide on the ad is just a joke. I'm really excited to see him at the U.S. Open. Um, Kovacevic was good today. Um, He played well. Um, I don't know if you saw the match. Uh, Blanche kind of gave it to him. Uh, It was deuce. Blanche hit a double fault, and then Blanche got a point penalty for hitting a ball at the stadium after the double (laughs) fault. So he gave him the break in the third. But I love Kovacevic's uh, serve in his forehand. The backhand, it's improved, but if he wants to be on the main tour, it's still not acceptable. All right, that, there we go. Well, with all of that said, any fun things you have planned, David, writing wise rest of this tournament? Well, I have a preview right now for uh, Kazakina and Sviatek, uh, the match tomorrow. Um, that's on Action Network. Uh, I am, it's a lot of what we talked about here. Um, I, but I won't spoil. I guess I've already kind of given the pick. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, but you can hear the full case. Yes. And you will, if you want all the analysis, go check that out. Um, and then, yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel like a project for me was watching all the Survivor. The season finale <laughs> was last week. Big Brother uh, Canada? What's up? Do you watch Big Brother Canada? No, but I'm oh sorry. my I'm god, for- David! Did you watch it? Oh my god, we'll do that next pod because okay. And then crap, we also have, have Master Chef, uh, yeah. which actually the second episode of the season starts in five minutes. Uh, That's what which I, I like just to. remembered. Um, and then yeah, so I, I have my reality TV. We got the summer reality TV season, but we also have it's hard to believe Wimbledon coming up and all that mess. Um, yeah. It'll be, it's quick. This is the fun. And again, SoCal Pro Series coming up here on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to have some fun over this next couple of months as we get ready for Wimbledon for the U.S. Open. Of course, for all of that content at all uh, at Tennis Blogger one on Twitter. Of course, you can read him, Action Network, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, you can follow all of our coverage of the French Open and all things happening in the tennis world on our website, CrackedRackets.com. A shout out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos who has a 
safe <laughs> of an editing job to do day in, day out, making Thank all of this you, content Daniel. possible. Yes, a shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. David, I forgot to remind you before we started. I know. I remember. Break. So with that said, for I'm glad to hear it. My fantastic <laughs> co-host, David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell the people? That's the break. And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, my friend. Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.